Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hey, everybody. We got a great one today. You know, for a change. And this time, this time I mean it. I really do. Because my guest is Michael Steele former Republican Lieutenant Governor of Maryland and former chair of the Republican National Committee. But if you know Michael from MSNBC, you'll know he is one of those Republicans, the fairly small but not insignificant minority of Republicans who are just as scared to death of Trump as we Democrats and and independents, the independents who understand who this, this guy is. Michael and I discuss what's happened to his party, and I repeat, uh, we are both very, very scared that our nightmare might actually uh, come true. But if you listen to uh, Trump's victory speech on Tuesday night, uh, one of the craziest victory speeches of all time, spending 90% of his time complaining about his opponent, uh, Nikki Haley, who he had beaten. (laughs) So let's uh, play that. You got that, Peter? And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely (laughs) when it was at seven. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing... uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. Now, she had congratulated Trump and said he earned his victory, but then painted a favorable view of how she did herself. But that's that's what you do. And Trump went nuts. So he is the thinnest skinned bully. And he seems to be tilting more and more to the right. And I'm hoping that this kind of crap, when Americans are watching and listening again, that this kind of stuff will not play. And this week, Trump has, it seems, blown up the bipartisan Senate deal on the border, uh, brokered over months and months, because Trump wants to deprive Biden of a victory and use the border as an issue in the campaign. Biden can kind of point out that it wouldn't be an issue if you hadn't said don't do the deal. Anyway, this deal, again, was worked out over months and months, a bipartisan deal that is also tied to aid for for Ukraine. Senate Republicans are furious because this will deprive them of a key legislative achievement on a pressing national priority But Mitch McConnell has indicated that he will scuttle the deal because Trump wants the issue for the campaign. This is who Trump is, a fucking wrecking ball. You know, Trump has said that he is going to repeal the Affordable Care Act. That's insane. The numbers came out this week on enrollments, huge record 
enrollments in the ACA, a record 21.3 million Americans signed up for the health insurance on the Affordable Care Act marketplaces this year, a 30% increase with the largest enrollment increases in red states. Enrollments increased by 80% in West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, and Tennessee, 60%. Texas, over 45%, with 3.5 million Texans signing up for Obamacare. Now, Trump just said that he's going to repeal the ACA, and I'm sure that was just a blurt. I I doubt he's given it any thought at all beyond the blurt. But if he wins and they capture the Senate and keep the House, they'll try it again, and he'll insist on it. You remember last time they tried to repeal and replace it in 2017, but for McCain's thumbs down. Trump said at the end of that, he said, who knew healthcare was so complicated? It's so complicated that 20 to 30 million Americans would have lost their coverage. Medicaid expansion would have been gone. Coverage of pre-existing conditions, it would have been up to the states. It's Trump versus Biden. Only a little more than nine months left. This is going to take a lot of twists and turns. We'll cover those. But hang in, folks, and do your part. That's the way we win. Our democracy hangs in the balance. Oh, one last thing. I'm going back on the road to work up my uh, stand-up act. I'll be in Chicago on February 24th and 25th, and uh, then Nashville, Atlanta, Philly, Pittsburgh, and uh, more cities to come. For tickets and more information, visit alfranken.com slash appearances. Okay, we got Michael Steele today. A great one. You know. For a change. Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true. Listen. That's the sound of you learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Fuhrer bunker. It's pretty simple, actually. Wo ist der Fuhrer bunker? Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com franken. Get 55% off at babbel.com franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L, dot com slash franken rules and restrictions may apply angie's list is now angie and we've heard a lot of theories about why i thought it was an eco move fewer words less paper no it was so you could say it faster no it's to be more iconic must be a tech thing But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. 
Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Former Lieutenant Governor of Maryland. Was your governor a Republican or Democrat? Republican. We're the first Republican administration since Agnew. Oh, yeah. Agnew kind of put a (laughs) little bit of a curse on it. The kibosh and electing Republicans in Maryland for a while. Yeah, but now your governor is, uh, well, no, now not, but uh, he was. You had Hogan, right? Yeah, Larry Hogan for two terms. I was in the Ehrlich team from 2003 to 2007. And then uh, you were uh, chair of the Republican National Committee. Yes. What years are those? 2009 to 11. Yeah, I was there. I was in, in Washington yep. then. I remember you there. Um, never had any reason to take issue with anything you said about me. So, <laughs> no, I actually, I actually liked you. I thought, I thought you were a very effective senator. I think people underestimate your ability to to work with the other side. Um, and you were not a gadfly. I mean, I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, here's this comedian coming in," and da 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 da. You were a serious, a serious player. My first term, uh, I had the instruction: "Don't be funny." Right. <laughs> As you, as you were as you were hanging out with a bunch of clowns, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and and Tim Scott uh, was one of them. Uh, not a clown, but I have a story about him. He he doesn't believe that government creates any jobs, <laughs> <laughs> except for the federal employees who happen to work for the government. But okay. Oh yeah, he he actually acknowledged that because I I. That was the first place I went. I about how about you and me, <laughs> you know, and all the people here on the floor. I, this is a discussion I had with him on the floor. He he, he was uh, the floor uh, leader for Trump's tax cut, yep. right? And I said, you know, it's going to add like two trillion dollars to the deficit. <laughs> and he said, well, that's a good thing because, well, he said, no, it won't. <laughs> first. Right. And I said, well, your own, you know, Congressional Budget Office says it will. You know, that was a Republican Congressional Budget yep. Office. Oh, well. Well, that's good then because uh, the, the government shouldn't have money. And he said, the government doesn't create jobs. And I said, what about us? And then he said, well, okay, yeah. Uh, but other than that, it doesn't create jobs. And I, I said, okay, what about like the Erie Canal <laughs> and the interstate highway system? And <laughs> The space program. And, and oh, then he, he actually said uh, those things would have happened faster if private industry had done it. <sighs> yeah, so that, <laughs> then I said, oh, we got would have gotten the moon like in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they, they, would, they would have danced to Charleston <laughs> up on the moon. What are you saying? <laughs> But, you know, lucky man, he's engaged now. He's engaged, yes. Yeah, I, I love the timing. So he announces his endorsement of Trump and then, like, hours later announces he's engaged. I'm like, I know your priorities a little bit screwed up there. I think I would have well, led with the engagement. They might have been tied tied together. Uh, there, there is some conversation in certain circles around Washington that that may be the case. But I, what, what do I know? I, mazel tov. That's what I say. That's right. That's right. Um, and I don't know what we're even talking right. about. Well, the interesting thing was uh, the, the great irony, me, irony for me, uh, Al, was that 
I was uh, very much involved in getting both Nikki and Tim Scott elected in 2010 as we spent. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Spent an enormous amount of uh, opportunity and resources to get Nikki the governorship. was very proud of that because she, she served very well as governor and took some very strong uh, and firm positions um, relative to her Confederate uh, colleagues um, in the legislature. That was after the murders at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. Correct. And Scott got to Congress. Was that hard uh, for her to do? Yeah, it was. It It was really hard. Really? Yeah. She was not well liked uh, to begin with because she was a woman and she was a woman. Uh, well, she is, but you know, at that time in the context of things, being a woman of color, being a woman, she upset a lot of, a lot of carts. Well, wait a minute. She got elected. So once you're elected, people are still upset. Oh yeah. No, (laughs) dude, you know that. Of course they are. People carry those political grudges with them. Look, you, you now become the most powerful figure politically and otherwise in the state. You're the governor. You control the budget. You control resources. You control the politics. And if it's been a white male established order of things for 150, 160 years, and all of a sudden you show up, boom, that uh, changes the dynamics. And it doesn't matter whether it's a political organization like a Republican National Committee or the governorship of, of South Carolina, it changes the nature of how the game is played. And folks who've always controlled the game, or at least they thought they controlled the game, don't necessarily respond too well. So she didn't have a lot of friends. Wow, wow. Uh, and, but she managed to govern through two terms very well. And of course, you know, that national moment where after... Uh, the murders in the church, she took a a firm stand. But then along came Trump and well, (laughs) everyone gets sausage brain. I don't know. Uh, Well, let's, I guess, talk about that. I got a, I I took a clip from his uh, victory speech and I didn't take the, you know, very long diatribe against uh, Haley uh, and multiple diatribes actually. Uh, which was strange. I've never seen a victory speech where you just spend time tearing down <laughs> the person you just beat. And she had congratulated him, yeah. right? She had she had said congratulations. He earned it. Yep. And then she just said, but we had a good night too, which is what you do, right? Yeah. When you lose, even if you didn't have a great night, which she didn't. I guess she exceeded some expectations or something and she lost by about 11 points right and that isn't enough when independents can vote and it's a republican primary contest so she's she's going to continue how long do you think that'll be uh you know look uh, uh, candidates are are quirky when it comes to their vulnerabilities um, they don't like to admit them. Uh, the reality that's in front of them is one that they're slow to move towards, as everyone else not only has moved towards it, but passed it, <laughs> and oftentimes begins to move on without them. Uh, uh, and she's going to find that. I think she's already begun to find that. I mean, you, you figure less than 12 hours after her strong second place finish... <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. Um, No, there are strong second place finishes and then there are 
when they matter. It doesn't matter here. First off, I, this is one of the fights I had inside the RNC, why I wanted to change our primary system, because Iowa and New Hampshire distort the political process. You begin by, by campaigning in one of the whitest, most conservative states in the country. And very religious. And very religious, very yeah. religious oriented. And then you move into a state where everyone in the pool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyone and everyone can get into your primary. And so you don't begin to get a real sense of where you are until you get to a place like South Carolina. I added Nevada to the mix um, in, in 2009. And for the 2012 cycle was the first time we actually had Nevada, the fourth state. Nevada. 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 Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm from the I'm from the east. Nevada. I have a friend named Nevada, so it just kind of goes with the with the game. But the, yeah, well, she's wrong. Well, she's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll share that with her. Yeah, she better say out of Nevada. You've been saying your name wrong forever. Um, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um, But, you know, but the the reality of it is these two states distort the process. Uh, I think the Democrats were wise to look to their strength on uh, the political landscape and how to start. Uh, And I suspect, I mean, I don't know South Carolina is going to hold the poll position going forward, but it, it it was a reflection of the dynamics that are out there. The Dem- Republicans will get to that. It was also con- kind of convenient for Biden. Well, of course it is. But that, but that's a recognition of that truth. He, he didn't. Yeah, okay. His people yeah, didn't stay right. stuck in the, okay, well, we got to start with Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> Play to your strengths. <laughs> Remember that Iowa lost their... Uh, ballots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, remember yeah. in the oh last. Oh my God! Yes, in the last cycle. <laughs> that's how they lost it. I mean, that was it. They oh, we got people voted. Well, wait a minute. I do it better. Do it in an Iowa accent. So anyway, people voted, and uh, we kind of lost the tally. We kind of lost a few ballots on our way to the ballot box. But uh, we're doing it on our uh, corn abacus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> fueled by ethanol. Yeah, there you go. But the reality, but the reality for Nikki is is a very stark one. She is now what the poll I saw yesterday. Uh, the average has her down forty points in her home state. <laughs> That's the average. <laughs> so uh, you're gonna make you make you're gonna make up over a point a day between now and and that primary in a state where seventy five percent of the Republican primary turnout is evangelical. No, is that right? In South, that's that's oh wow. No, 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 boo. That's not how this is going to work. So uh, since you are chairman of of the party, I kind of wanted to ask you sort of how, how did the Republican Party turn into this? I mean, the the current chairman of the party and the whole national committee uh, said that January 6th was legitimate political discourse, which is amazing and appalling at the same time. And everything is amazing and appalling. But the big lie of Trump won the election and then that disgrace of what happened on January 6th, including, you know, uh, death to say that's legitimate. So I, I want to ask you kind of what happened to the party. But here, I want, I want to play Trump uh, just this one little sure. clip I got, which I just find funny. 
So let's let's play that. This is in New Hampshire. Because if you remember, we won in 2016. And if you really remember it, if you want to play it straight, we also won in 2020. <laughs> by more. <laughs> and we did much better in 2020 than we did in 2016. But as they said, we lost by a whisker, just by a whisker. So he's saying that we won in New Hampshire in 16 and 20. He didn't win it either. No, he didn't win. No, we did not. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a liar, and he's really good at it. Um, and he says it with such conviction that everyone stands in the room knowing that he's lying, uh, cheers him. Do they know, do they know he's yeah, lying? They Does do. everyone no, they do. I mean, they do. They do. The press it, folks, knows. I, I've had enough conversations with Trump folks to know. They know it's all, it's, this is the worst reality television uh, program that we've seen. Um, where everyone gets sucked into this space. They know it, but they cannot rationalize. And it, it goes to the heart of your question, Al. It, they cannot rationalize themselves away from the space that they've now aligned themselves. Once you start down that road, how do you get out? How, wh- what do you tell well, yourself to get out, right? Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, it, very mean. much so. And this has been, you ask an important question because I think it's important for folks to understand that this just didn't happen in 2015, 16. There have been internal struggles inside the Republican Party since the 1930s. And it really began with, uh, ironically enough, with President Roosevelt. When, you, when we had the depression, the economy, the breakdown economically of the country, Wall Street crashing, all of these things that happened, there began an enormous amount of pressure politically to be relevant or to be viable in the face of what Roosevelt was doing. His New Deal uh, began to move uh, black voters away from the GOP. Um, His approach to the Supreme Court, and we know what that great battle was because he was trying to force this through the system and he wanted it to stick. You have all these political pressures for the out party that was blamed in large part for the crash of 29. Um, right. And, you know, we can argue the, the, the truth of that. But, you know, we live in a world where <laughs> perception is reality in politics. Well, Hoover didn't exactly uh, respond. He, and that's the point. He, didn't, he did not respond in a way that uh, he had, was advised or otherwise should have. But the, the fact is that set in motion a number of political consequences that have played out over the last uh, 75, 80 years. And so it, at various points, you see this sort of strain uh, rear its head within the GOP. Because remember, the power center of the country was the South. And so to win the White House, you had to win the South. And, and, and there were all of, the, all of these realities that the party had to come to grips with. So, you know, you had, for example, by the time you get to the 1950s, you had the John Birch Society rearing its head inside the GOP, the party pushing back against um, that form of white nationalism. But it responded by nominating Goldwater, who rejected the civil rights agenda. He voted against. My dad was a Republican until 1964. Yeah, and that could be true for a, uh, certainly for a lot of African Americans. 
Um, when Dr. King got arrested, uh, he turned to the Republican Party for help and the party ignored him. He then went to Kennedy and Kennedy sat on his hands until Bobby forced his hands. And when John F. Kennedy took affirmative action, if you will, to help Dr. King, Daddy King went to his pulpit and renounced the Republican Party. That sort of cemented that downward slog. So that put political pressure that resulted in 68 Nixon's Southern strategy. Why? Because when Johnson embraced the civil rights agenda of Kennedy, even though he was a segregationist, white Southern men said, hell no, and bolted the party. The Republican Party went, well, let's pick them up. The 64 Civil Rights Act also marked the change in the South. No, that's exactly right. That only happened because Johnson said, okay. Right. And so the 64 uh, Civil Rights and 65 Voting Rights Act, both of those efforts, ironically, sort of the last gasp by Republicans to help uh, get those passed. Well, those are your Everett Dirksons. Everett Dirksons, uh, yeah, et cetera. So you see the a higher percentage of Democrats voted against the Civil exactly. Rights Bill because, uh, because they were Southern Democrats who then became Republicans. But that strain, we, we started to embrace that strain for the political uh, upside of winning presidential elections. That was, that was part and parcel of the Southern strategy in the Southern strategy. And yeah, Reagan kicked off his 84 campaign with a rally in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney were killed, the civil rights workers trying to register voters. That's where they were killed. That's where Reagan started his campaign. That's right. That was his tacit nod to that. So this, so th- this, this struggle is no tacit. Yeah, we look at it now and say it wasn't, but at the time, it wasn't. It wasn't highly reported that that's that that was. It didn't derail his campaign. <laughs> oh, that's right. He won. Yeah, he won. yeah, he won. Right. So yeah, yeah, it didn't derail his campaign. Uh, today, today would be problematic. It was a lot closer than the second one. Yeah. So the point is that you've got you've had this these these ongoing periods within the GOP in which it has it has danced with and run alongside of these illiberal strains for political gain. And then you now have the hardened reality of that in Trump, where it's okay, none of it matters, we'll blow it all up. You can be as illiberal as you want. Uh, and still win. And and so you can say immigrants are poisoning exactly our blood. Exactly. And that which fight, is a that's the echo of Hitler. I mean And that's the internal fight inside the GOP. There's there's more fighting to come. Uh we just never dealt with it. We haven't dealt with it since Reagan left. And 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 I remember in conversations at the time Reagan left in eighty nine, there was this, you know, a lot of gnashing of teeth and trying to figure out who's going to be the next Reagan, who's going to be the next Reagan, who's going to be the standard bearer for conservatism, and who's going to advocate for uh, conservatism. And that ongoing battle has been in play. Trump came along and not only rewrote the rules on it, but redesigned what it is. I mean, the MAGA is not conservatism. MAGA is Trump. You know, that he identified in 16 a lot of things that, everyone else running didn't identify. That's right. I remember him in in South Carolina debate taking on W for Iraq. Mm -hmm. And this is a, you know, you think of South Carolina as a military state, you know, as a lot of veterans there and a lot of bases there, et cetera. And so no one who was running against him, not Jeb, not anybody, 
said the Iraq war was a mistake. And he said it in that debate. Yep. He also understands that uh, working people in this country aren't, weren't big fans of free trade. Right. And so he understood some stuff. I mean, it's sometimes tempting to call Trump dumb, but as, as uh, Axelrod likes to say, he has this feral genius. He does. And I, and I think, I think that, that genius is born out of an understanding that was gained over 14 years of being on national television. America watched this man fire people. So they consider him to be strong. They saw him hanging out with beauty pageant contestants. Um, and so it didn't matter when these, these stories would pop up about him walking in on naked women or grabbing them by the you-know-what. They, they had processed that all into the, the image of Donald Trump. He did something that no other politician had been able to do. He was able to take his viewers and turn them into voters. And that is the core of his MAGA movement. Those are people who were on Well, their- wait a minute. Do you remember the 20 Mule team? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Ronald Reagan was host of a show that was sponsored by Braxo, which was this powdered soap that really cleaned your hands. It was for real men. And uh, it had uh, Braxo had a 20 Mule team. As it's- <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Even with Reagan, his Hollywood stature didn't translate the same way because in between his time in Hollywood uh, and the presidency, he was governor of California. I I would argue that the the skills he gained as an actor were central to his success. And and he was a great communicator. He was very much no so. doubt about that. Very much so. But I, I was I'm not a big fan of his. Right. Uh, you understand for a number of, of, of reasons. Um, but we don't need to go into that. What I, I want, I kind of want to go back to kind of tracing as you were who these, you know, Rush Limbaugh comes to mind. Gingrich comes to mind. Right. Pat Buchanan comes to mind tracing how we got to this guy but it you know if you think about it the 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 previous uh nominee was romney you know a very decent guy it jumped well and before that mccain (laughs) and before that mccain before him bush and then you go you can go back to bob dole i mean you, you can see there was a certain type of republican that always emerged in the battle for the nomination. And what would always happen after that Republican lost the general election was that the hardened right within the party would always claim, see, we lost because we weren't conservative enough. We lost because we put a rhino at the top of the ticket. And Trump came in and broke. Well, they weren't saying that in 65, you know. Obviously. No, they, they weren't saying that in 65, but they had nominated the conservative and he lost. They didn't connect the dot. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> connect the dot. I like that. They didn't connect the dot. Right. <laughs> they didn't connect the dot, right? Yeah. So the, reali- the reality of it is the, the fixation on this conservative brand being something that's amenable to the American voter, that it is something the American voter wanted, 
has always run afoul of the actual perception and, and, and view that Americans have of that. They don't want extremism. But Donald Trump came in and rewrote some of that narrative to say, yeah, at the end of the day, deep down, they do. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Michael Steele. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like. All at the same time. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Let me ask you, do you think uh, that he is... Blowing it in a way, in in the sense that he just seems to be headed more and more and more to the right. That Trump is heading more and more to the right. Yeah, that in other words, that he is saying poisoning our blood, and and I feel like he is talking to the people he talks to, that and that he surrounds himself with. The, that victory uh, speech was unbelievable the New Hampshire one where he, no one's ever done that, spent the whole speech uh, tearing down the person he just beat. No, they, they, <laughs> they, well, but, but that's part of his psychopathy as well. I mean, he, he, he. Wait a minute. Psychopathy? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of his, his mental makeup. Oh, how he, I see. Pathological psychology. Yeah. I mean, how that's he. A, that's a word. It's Psych- a word. And it's how okay, he, okay. It's, it's how he internalizes. The most important thing that happened to him was not that, that he won, is that she talked crap about the win. She lost, in his view, and she did, but she was sounding as if she'd won. I know, but everybody does that. Everybody I mean, does that. <laughs> everybody does that. Of course. Yeah. Well, and and as, uh, you know who really does that? Him. Him. <laughs> yes. And but I mean, the great irony, of course, is that the big lie, that's why I played that clip. The the big lie is the big lie. The big lie it's, is the big lie. And he yeah. engages in it at every turn, but he also becomes consumed by it. When someone else starts doing it, right? When she basically stands up and says, I won, 
You know, you know she didn't though. She no, didn't. she didn't. She didn't say that. But in his hearing, that's what he heard. That he- okay, that's a that's kind of a sick uh, guy. Uh, well. <laughs> Oh, oh, I pit on it. And, and okay, so is he going to win? How's that? Uh, he will, I mean, the nomination? Yeah. Oh, and I know that. <laughs> the presidency? I mean, Look, I, I, I... We don't know, and we're We scared. don't know. We have nine months of being uh, terrified every day. We do, but here's here's the rub for me. Uh, this is this really is a matter of of the American people uh, deciding what kind of country they want, what direction they want to go in. Uh, do they are they so aggrieved that Donald Trump is is their best solution? And if if their aggrievement leads them to that conclusion, then Donald Trump will be president. And this isn't about, and, and I want to be very clear about this. This isn't about, oh, all these Republicans. You know, a million people left the Republican Party on, you know, on January 7th after January 6th. So this party has mm-hmm. been hemorrhaging support and voters um, since that time. The underlying numbers don't, don't support the idea that, you know, Republicans are the ones that are going to elect Donald Trump. No, there are a whole lot of Democrats that like Donald Trump. There are a whole lot of independents, a whole lot of white suburban women who like Donald Trump. He won their vote by 50, with 52% of the vote in, in 16. He won their vote again after everything they saw and knew and learned about him over those four years in 2020. So this idea uh, that this is strictly in the political vein is a misunderstanding, misreading of the American voter. Not a purely partisan thing. It is not. Obviously. It is not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we, uh, we're we going to go through nine months of, <laughs> of this torture. And Al, it really Al's is. I was already like, give me, give me, I've already got an Excedrin headache, right, Al? <laughs> I, I do. I do. I, I saw a segment on uh, the weekend. I mean, on your show, The Weekend. Mm-hmm. It was also on The Weekend. And that's when the show is on. Is on yes, the, uh, the weekend, weekend uh, eight to ten on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Yeah, with Alicia Menendez and and Simone Sanders and myself. It's a lot of fun, man. It is. And uh, I actually saw you in primetime a few weeks ago. I guess it was previewing the show that mm-hmm. you were going to do in in the morning uh, on on the weekend on uh, Saturday and Sunday. But I saw a segment that you guys did, which was former officials of the Trump administration who got to know him, why won't they speak out? And, and they kind of each have spoken out like once or something. Right. I would uh, uh, recommend to everyone, the, the Atlantic monthly double issue, which was if Trump wins, Mm -hmm. but in it, they, they quote some of these guys, you know, I like uh, Mattis. He is more dangerous than anyone could ever imagine. <laughs> okay, if if you feel that way, why aren't you saying it more often? And it's the same goes for all these people, uh, really. Uh, Bolton, um, who else is is in here? Bill Barr says he will always put his own interests and in gratifying his own ego ahead of everything else, including the country's interests. I don't recommend that we have Bill Barr at the Democratic Convention. He wouldn't be my my choice. 
But, you know, maybe someone like McMaster, President Trump and other officials have repeatedly compromised our principles in pursuit of partisan advantage and personal gain. These people got to, you know, served him and, and know him. And you basically were very skeptical of of the idea that they would do this. I still am, because here's the rub. If you press them on who they're going to be voting for this November, it won't be Joe Biden. It will be Donald Trump. Or they also say, well, I'm just not voting for president. Well, okay, so then you're voting for Donald Trump. They will say Donald Trump. John Kelly would say Donald Trump. Here's what he said. The depth of his dishonesty is just astounding to me. He is the most flawed person I have ever met in my life. (laughs) Okay, Uh, shouldn't he be speaking at the Democratic Convention? If he would, Democrat, we would jump at it, I'm sure. You would jump at it, but here's the point. That only has value if those voices are out there now. I mean, pulling, pulling someone like a John Kelly or, you know, anyone else, a Mattis, into a Democratic Convention... which is the quintessential political action, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. This convening of Democrats to nominate Joe Biden. It will not have the same impact as if you had someone who has an ongoing narrative that they are publicly standing by in which they are enforcing and reinforcing this view from their experience of working with the man. A one-off in an Atlantic magazine story, when you do not hear their voice at any other time. Yeah, he didn't give that quote for them. They they just excerpted. They just have a couple pages of these quotes. Right. So basically, <laughs> yeah. why don't you just have someone stand up and read that at the Democratic convention? Because that's about as much value as it's going to have. Be- okay. Because th- these individuals are not as much as they know. And despite what they say, they're not they're not on our air at MSNBC or at Fox or CNN or on your podcast or in front of The Washington Post or an editorial board for The New York Times repeating these conversations over and over again. That's what it takes. And here's here's the problem. You you, you have a lot of folks who say these things, but when push comes to shove, they fall back, well, you know, I just can't vote for for Joe Biden. Well, why not? You you just said the other guy is a piece of crap. He's dangerous. He's the most dangerous person I've ever worked with. He should not be anywhere near the nuclear codes. He is He's a threat to our alliances globally. And yet you're still going to vote for him? That's Peter Major running for the U.S. Senate in Illinois, who voted to impeach Donald Trump, is now saying, oh, yeah, Donald, I, I got to support Donald Trump. Why? Wow. <laughs> so, the, you know, it, 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 it's the credibility gap is huge here. And so I, I appreciate what sounds like, oh, OK, you know, that insight about Donald Trump. But does, it means Jack because you're still voting for him or you're not voting for Joe Biden. I mean, this is this is what it boils down to. You either voting for Joe Biden or you're voting for Donald Trump. And if you don't right. vote, you say, I'm just not voting because I can't vote for Joe Biden. Then that's a vote for Donald Trump because his base is going to turn out this November. 
Right. And the question is, is Biden's base going to turn out? His, and, Biden's and, base is more concerned about the, his age than they are about the country. What you need to be concerned about is whether or not the country makes it to its 250th. Right. I just think the focus is off here because you had six out of eight candidates running for the presidency against Donald Trump raise their hand and say, if he's a convicted felon, I will still support him. Nikki Haley herself said, if I'm president and he's convicted, I will pardon him because the country can't have an 80-year-old president in jail. Yeah, we can if he deserved to be there. If he, You know, the Secret Service, uh, (laughs) ex-presidents, you get uh, 24-hour Secret Service uh, protection as an ex-president, which would come in very handy in prison. (laughs) Yes, it would. And so I think Haley should be reminded of that. Right, exactly. She knows. So he could, you know, be in in prison with dignity. That's it. And that's what it's all about. In prison with dignity. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is the kind of discussion you'll hear on the weekend with Alicia Menendez, (laughs) Simone Sanders, Townsend, and Michael. Yeah. We get into it. We we have – it's a great – Converging of perspectives. Uh, we have, I think, a very interesting array of guests who come through, um, and we love the interactive nature of it, and just kind of peeling stuff back a little bit and just kind of saying, hey, well, what about this? And we thought about that. Do you know what this means? If this happens, then this happens. Well, uh, thank you. And once again, the weekend is on the weekends. It's on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. And it's from 8 to 10 a.m. That's it. Can I ask you one thing sure. about that? Doing a show like that, that's that's uh, four hours of, of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what uh, Lawrence does because he takes Fridays off. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of content. How does it work? How does it win? What? Uh, we have, is, we haven't. Are you staffed all week? Is there all? Uh, are people working on that all week? Yeah, I mean, yeah. For for the most part, look, you're you're, you're calling stories pretty much every day. So to see narratively what you want to say come the weekend. The important thing that we decided at the very beginning of this project was we didn't want this to be a recap of the news of the week. Right. So, oh, no, let's tell you what happened on Tuesday. Right. (laughs) Right. That's not what this is about. It really was taking events of the week. Okay, for this week, we had, of course, uh, the primary in New Hampshire, but then there are all the outflows from that, all the storylines that emerged from that and trying to take a fresh look at uh, those storylines and present them uh, on a Saturday morning as folks are getting up to start their their weekend in a way that they find engaging, they want to listen to, uh, and stay tuned in for. So, um, yeah, we've got a great executive. It's like really doing any one of those shows, just uh, it's on Saturday and Sunday morning. I mean, it's like doing any one of those uh, nightly hours. Yeah, it's a little bit more concentrated because you're, you know, Lawrence and and Nicole, it's like Nicole Wallace. Nicole Wallace's show every day has two hours. She's got to to cover every day. Um, so it's a constant sort of evaluation of news stories and, and figuring out which stories you want to put in. And, and when you have certain stories, as you know, Al, that go, you know, over more than one day, they just aren't like one hit wonders where you, you tell it and you move on. The Trump trials, for example, there's always another angle on the storyline that you, you have an opportunity to take a look at. That's the show. And it's again, it's on the weekend uh, uh, 
Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m. We're going to maybe not have all of this promo for the show, but we might. <laughs> <laughs> we like it. We it's good. It. I know. I know. I'll, I'll keep as uh, much as uh, I, I, I can swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show The Swan. The problem? This dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.